You are listening to Thulos, a podcast of the Ephesus School Network. Thulos explores servant leadership as an Orthodox Christian. I'm Holly Benton, your host and executive director of the Orthodox Christian Leadership Initiative. I'm excited today to be talking with Father Chris Salami, pastor of St. George Antiochian Orthodox Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Father Chris is also the founder of The Way of the Warrior Saint, which launched in 2016. The Way of the Warrior Saint is a movement dedicated to teaching a crucifixional life, sacrificing self for the sake of other. Modeled on Christ's crucifixion, the emphasis is on leadership and overcoming struggle. Father Chris Salami has released a book by the same title, The Way of the Warrior Saint, How to Live a Crucifixional Life. It's available through their website, warriorsaints.org, and we'll also be sure to provide a link through our website and this podcast episode at orthodoxservantleaders.com. Welcome, Father Chris, and congrats on your new book release, The Way of the Warrior Saint. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me in. Tell me what inspired you to write this book. What issue or opportunity did you want to address by writing a book called The Way of the Warrior Saint? I think the answer to that question is simple and maybe complicated at the same time. But the world in which we live is really trying to present to us, to people, that the way to accomplish anything should be easy, almost as if there is a magic pill that if you just swallow this or just use this routine or or just follow this self-help guru, that everything just kind of falls in place and everything works and is golden. I think life is... I wish that easy, but it's it's really not. I think that the only way to accomplish our goals and our, our desires, our dreams, to, to be the best people that we can be is to really grind through and do the difficult things. Kind of taken on a, a saying, Holly, that if it's easy, it's wrong. <laughs> and what I mean is that nothing good comes from the easy route, the easy way in life. Mm-hmm. Life is beautiful and hard. And I guess the last part of the thesis is that not only is it hard and difficult challenges to overcome and monsters to face and conquer, but that somewhere inside, deep inside every human being, we have the desire for the difficulties, the sufferings, the challenges of life. It's almost as if it's programmed into us to really go after the hard things. And that feeling when we conquer and succeed after a lot of hard work it's priceless. And we know somewhere inside of us that it was all worth it. Mm -hmm. You suggested we ground our discussion today in St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians and the passage taken from chapter one. Uh, Let me read that. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will thwart. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, Father, 
This is where you're basing the term crucifixional living is from this passage from the Corinthians. The term sounds paradoxical, just like the Apostle Paul is describing in his letters to the Corinthians. Tell us more about crucifixional living, Father Chris. Even today, preaching Christ crucified can be a stumbling block or folly, but as Christians, we submit to it as the power and wisdom of God. This is precisely it, Holly. Thank you for bringing that out. I mean, first, the term crucifixional is a term that we made up here in our ministry with clear connections and just forgive me if I say it, but copying the Lord himself. He has the reference for us and and the model for all of us, Jesus Christ on his cross through the crucifixion conquered the greatest of all monsters death. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's the whole message that it's not even in the empty tomb that Christ is victorious. It's on the cross. And that's where death is destroyed. Sin is destroyed. And he says to us from the gospel of Matthew in chapter 16, all the gospels, you know, if you want to be with me, you have to take up your own cross and, and follow. And this is the idea. All right. So then how do we follow living our lives? How do we follow Christ? in living a Christ-like life. And it really is for us to say, and that's why we made up the word, we also have to be crucifixional. It is completely counterintuitive to the way the world is wanting to tell us how to live. That's the whole message, is that the world tells you, take it easy, you do you, get yours. And Christ is telling us, all right, you got to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, all the work that you do in your doulos ministry, it's beautiful. It's, I mean, it's the same story. It's that we are here to serve, to sacrifice ourselves, in order to serve other. That's the short and long of it. To be crucifixional, again, it's a term we made up just to help us cement that idea in our minds. But it's really just about to sacrifice in order to get where I need to go. When we say crucifixional living, sometimes scholars, you know, well, how can you say, you know, living a life because, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, dying to the world and all that stuff. And, you know, yeah, let's not get the words wrong, man. I mean, we're still alive in the world, right? I mean, you and I are living. Mm -hmm. If we weren't, we wouldn't be able to record this pod, right? I mean, so we have to live our lives as many days as God gives us in a certain way, in a certain manner. We've put forward why don't you live it the way that Jesus lived it, right? That's the message. In life, we all have monsters to face. And those monsters may come in the form of, you know, they're not mythical beasts, i.e. Lord of the Rings, but they're they're real, just as real, and maybe even more terrible, whether it be depression or anxiety or struggles in our marriages or physical health, dealing with COVID issues. You know what I mean? All of these issues, these monsters that we face, everything that is a struggle for us, the world is telling, oh, it's just do it easy. Just conquer it easily but that doesn't work. So Christ shows us the way you want to know how to conquer your monsters. I'm going to show you, I'm going to fight the biggest monster, the worst monster of all sin and death. And I'm going to do so. And you hear his victory in the garden of Gethsemane, you know, by not as I will, but as you will. And by facing this monster and allowing himself voluntarily to be sacrificed on the cross for you and I, his monster is destroyed. Mm -hmm. And so he says, you want to conquer your monster, whatever it may be, follow me, do the same thing. Allow me to overstate the point in order to make it. But for example, it's a silly example that I use often, but it hopefully it clarifies. Let's say that I want to live a healthy life. One of the things that I want to do is is to, you know, be healthy and live as long as I possibly can in order to serve and do the things God has asked me to do. If I want to be healthy, there is a great monster that stands in the way and that is called Doritos. 
I mean, I love Doritos. It's just, you know what I mean? It's, I know it's silly, but it, I love them. I don't ever eat one Dorito. I either eat all the Doritos or I eat no Doritos, right? Like I can't have a few. If I open the bag, I'm committed to eating the bag. All right. But I can't be healthy and live a healthy life if I submit to this monster and eat the whole bag of Doritos. The point I have to be crucifixional and sacrifice my own desire to eat the Doritos so that I might be physically healthy and contribute, you know, in the ways God has asked me to. Trite, I know, but I think it clarifies the point about what crucifixional living means. Mm -hmm. And not just healthy for the sake of your own health and uh, valor and extended life, but as you said, to contribute to the lives of others, to make it stand for something, because we're still going to pass away at the end of the day, right? But to have your life mean and stand for something, and that being God's word, his gospel, his message that is enduring and never ends. Absolutely. Obviously, we're all going to die. And you know what? There's a great saying and that if you die before you die, then you won't die when you die. I think the statement is, look, live a Christ-like life in this world, in this life that you're living now, i.e. be crucifixional, carry your own cross, so that when you do die, it is a translation from death to life. I mean, in other words, we follow Christ into the you know empty tomb. As Paul tells us, our destination, our home is somewhere else, right? I mean, we're looking for our mother in Revelation, our mother, the heavenly Jerusalem, you know, the city which is to come. But the doorway, quote, gets us in, that opens it for us, is the cross. Right. The way of the warrior saint is just packed with stories. Is there a special one? Is there one that you'd like to share? You're really kind. So the book is is really basic and simple. It was written for a general audience, and we use story I think that's just how the human brain works. We broke it down into three parts, mankind in relation to self, in relation to other, and relation to work. Each of the three sections has 10 chapters where we deal with things that are relevant to our lives in in living crucifixionally. We explore being uncomfortable, how to take responsibility, how to have good habits, um, victims, villains, the teacup and the lion, you know, how to serve, how to listen how to have crucifixional conversations and and things like this. And in the text, one of the, (laughs) it's kind of funny, like I make fun of myself a little bit, but you know, I live in the desert and we have rattlesnakes, you know, we call them diamondbacks and they are very dangerous and poisonous snakes. I had a pile of junk leaning on the side of the house. I decided one Saturday, all right, enough is enough. Get that stuff out of here, clean it up. One of the things in that pile was an old door that the previous owners of the home didn't use when they built it. And it was leaning against the side of the house. Well, sure enough, when I pick it up, I hear the noise. (laughs) We all know, you know, in the desert, when you hear it, we know what it is. And so sure enough, there's a six foot rattlesnake sitting by the door, just chilling in the shade, right? Like, who am I to mess with this guy? He was just relaxing. Well, you know, they talk about the fight, flight, or freeze in moments of danger. Dude, I was I was ready to flight. <laughs> I mean, I was like, all right, just get out. But I couldn't because my kids were in the back swimming. And, you know, you can't leave this thing out there. And so I was like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. And honest to God, thank the sweet Lord Jesus, my pool guy, Travis, comes in just at that moment. And he's like, what are you doing? Um, I just pointed at it. I was like, the, the, that. And he's like... <laughs> Oh, it's no problem. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of it no, right now. No problem. So he grabs his pool. You know, they have those big nets on the pole. They scoop the debris off the top of the pool. He just pins the snake's head against the side of the house and it's totally going nuts. He says, here, I've got pliers in my pocket. Just grab it right at the head and 
will, you know, we'll just take care of it. I mean, in other words, we'll have to cut its head off so that it obviously so that it can't hurt anyone. <laughs> I like that. I'm like, what are you? You're nuts, dude. We talking about grab this thing by, you know, like I'm not doing that. So, I mean, the whole chapter was about courage and I'm standing there totally afraid. So he looks at me, he's like, you're such a pansy. You take the pole. So I take the pole and pin the head, the snake's head against the wall. He pinches it with pliers, pulls it away, and we end up cutting off the head. And it was it was a sad thing to have to do because it's a beautiful animal, but, you know, I mean, it's dangerous. So we did what we had to do. I looked at him and I'm like, Travis, I was so afraid. And he said to me, well, I was afraid. I'm like, well, no, you had, you had courage. He said, no, I was afraid. He said, but you still have to do what you have to do. Hmm. And it dawned on me, I was like, what he's telling me in the most unlikely of heroes, that courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is doing the right thing in spite of fear. Right. That was a powerful moment. And honestly, as we talk about the Garden of Gethsemane, you can see Christ himself. I mean, the greatest, I don't mean to sound crass, but the greatest hero of all time. I mean, in the garden, you know, he's begging the father to let the cup pass, right? He, I don't want to do this. I'm afraid it's going to be terrible. But nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. And that's why Christ is always the model. I mean, he faced that fear and he conquered it by submitting to God's will. And look what he did. I mean, he went to the cross and saved all mankind. In some real sense, as funny as it may sound, this counterintuitive Christ-like way, this crucifixional way, it's beautiful. And it's the only mm -hmm. thing that works. Right, right. Tell me a little bit about how a parish might be able to use this book. As you know, we have a module called Cultivating Vision and Change. And of course, we kind of approach it from a context of vision and change within a church community, functioning as the body of Christ by building that guiding coalition, enlisting a volunteer army, so to speak, to join Christ's vision and Christ's movement in the context of a local parish mission. But a body a community is made up of many members, many individuals, with each one necessarily being committed to what you've termed crucifixional living. So the way of the warrior saint seems to really capture the context of what the individual faces each and every day. Say more about putting the right people around you, thinking long-term to making better decisions to cultivate that personal vision and change that Christ calls you for on a daily basis. So we go back to 1 Corinthians, St. Paul is talking to us about the body has many members, you know, all, all these different parts that join the life, the body, meaning the body of Christ with Christ as its head. And each one of us, though we're not supposed to be individualistically focused, but we are individual people and we have to get on board with the system, you know, with the plan. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, I think in any organization, most necessarily a church, there has to be a vision and there has to be one vision and one goal. And there's one thing that we do, right? And I think that's why what the work you're doing is so important because you're hopefully helping people and communities, churches to establish that vision and to clarify for everyone what, what it is we're doing. Mm -hmm. Like for example, at my parish here in Arizona, St. George, we don't do anything but teach. That's it. We have one thing that we do. Everything we do is to teach the gospel, everything, whether that be in writing books, online classes, Bible studies, even in our worship, it's all didactic. Mm -hmm. We just simply teach the gospel of Christ. And so anybody that wants to be a part of our team gets on board with that idea, that mission, and that goal. Could my book help your work to help parishes? I mean, I'm honored that you even asked the question and grateful to you. I think it could. I'm hopeful. I mean, the idea is that, yes, we wrote this so that it would be able to help. And I, I think 
the way the book's designed, Holly, is that the first section, let's look at ourselves and get ourselves in order so that we go into the second section, which is entirely about serving other people. Mm-hmm. Physician, heal thyself so that you can get out there and, and help other people. We have chapters called serve. I mean, like, it's just, <laughs> it's, a, it's the first one in that section, serve, get out there and do the business, you know, be dulos. And then it transitions into the third section, which is how to be crucifixional in your work, whatever that may be from C-level executive positions down to the most humble of all jobs. It doesn't matter. Do your business and do it Christ-like. One of the chapters there is really a push for, in fact, we called it the one thing, you know, a great story from that movie City Slickers, you know, where Mitch is riding with the gruff old grumpy cowboy. Curly. You know, he's on this journey. Why are they even on this cattle drive? For those who haven't seen City Slickers, they're looking for themselves. These guys are, you know, midlife crisis, whatever. They're trying to figure it all out. But he looks at Curly, this old grumpy cowboy, basically asking him, what's the meaning in life? And he says, one thing. It's just one thing. And once you find that, you got to go get it. Mitch has to go through the rest of the movie and find his one thing and so on. But we have a chapter about one thing, and that is you have to find your own one thing. And then you're relentless in the pursuit of, of getting after it. And so if your parish is working through a strategic plan or a vision or goals, you know, as a parish, look, nail it down to one thing and then put all your might behind it. Right. Wow. So how could a parish use this book as a way to cultivate vision and change at a parish level? Let's say even in the context of a parish council meeting. Okay, great. There's a great chapter in there called Crucifixional Conversations. And another one called Listen. I struggle with it, you know, clearly you, just in this podcast, you can tell I like to talk a lot, you know, and so, and it, because of that, I tend to not listen very well. I mean, one of the most essential things that we as a parish council who are together with the pastor are guiding and leading the parish, and we got to listen, right? I mean, parish councils are notorious for argumentation or, you know, seeking my way over your way. And I would think, that it's essential to learn how to have a crucifixional conversation, how to put in perspective what actually matters versus what doesn't matter, right? Like we tend to think that everything's important when really very few things are important. Without this ability to listen, we end up in, and I I don't mean hear the sounds in your ear. I mean, listen, right? To do that requires that we are crucifixional. And, And there's a tool that we have in there, one very specific practical, we call the three second rule. And it's one that I'm absolutely terrible at, but it's so important. And it is that in a conversation, when someone's speaking, when they say their last word, you have to wait to a count of three before you respond. And the reason is because like, if you're like me, when, when Holly and I are talking and Holly says something, I'm, I'm already thinking, ooh, 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 I know what I need to say. I know what I need to say. <laughs> what I've done is formulating a response, I've stopped listening to you. Mm-hmm. I've already shut it off. And the other problem is, especially when things get difficult, when conversations are difficult, is that even Holly's first barrage, it's only the first barrage. And if I respond, it's going to create chaos. But if I can pause, boy, I got to tell you, people will fill that silence. They'll fill the void. Mm-hmm. And Holly could continue to really purge all of the frustrations. And if I'm listening, I can respond appropriately to the challenges that Holly's facing as opposed to continuing to create an argument or worse. 
I guess that would be a really essential thing for a parish council, especially when things do get contentious. And look, let's hope that they don't and that very often they don't. And most of the time they don't. But <laughs> parish councils, God bless them, are known for it. Yeah, I have to say, I, I imagine that it's got to be a really beautiful thing in your parish. If your mission and vision is to be a teaching parish, and you're all submitting to the gospel of Christ, and that is the content and the context through which you teach, then when it comes to listening, we're all submitting ourselves to listening to the gospel, listening to Christ's word. And then it becomes really clear on what's derailing our conversation and how do we hear Christ's voice in all of this to get us back on track. Absolutely. Forgive me if it sounds boastful, but our parish council meetings are about 30 to 35 minutes because we all just got on board. It's funny. We spend more time after the meeting. We go out for pizza and wings and <laughs> to be together, which is longer than the meeting itself. But because they're all listening, you know what I mean? They're all on board. And I'm thankful. Honestly, they're beautiful people. Thankful. Father Chris, this has been a joy getting to talk with you today to hear more about your amazing book. Again, it's warriorsaints.org, where people can find out more about the way of the warrior saint, how to live a crucifixional life, and to even order a book today. I'm grateful. You rock. Thank you. I appreciate you a lot. Thank you, Father. Father. 